Well, hello friends, my name's Brad and I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And I wanna welcome you into this online space as we begin a teaching series where we ask the question, how are you really? And we're gonna dive in to six topics that are practical and timely. And we're gonna see what faith has to say about navigating the complicated world that we find ourselves in these days. So let's jump in together, shall we? Sometimes I'll interact with people and I'll ask them the question, what do you think that Jesus talked about the most? If you're joining on our live stream uh, on our website, maybe just take a minute and put your ideas or guesses into the chat function there. And if you're watching with people, maybe take a minute and share your guess out loud. Of all of the topics that Jesus might have spoken about, somebody paid attention to and wrote it down, what do you think Jesus talked about the most? Well, people guess often things like heaven or prayer or faith, and these would all be good guesses, but they would all be wrong. Of all the things Jesus talked about, he spent a lot of time talking about finances. Consider the following. In the Bible, there are over 2,000 verses on money. Of the 38 parables that Jesus told, these are stories to help us understand life, 16 of them revolve around finances. If you count up all of the words that Jesus spoke in the gospel accounts, those four records of his life in the New Testament, 25% of them deal with stewardship or being a wise manager of the things that you've been entrusted with, including finances. And one in 10 verses in those gospel accounts deals specifically with money. So clearly this was an important subject to Jesus and it's obviously an important subject to each of us as well. Matthew was one of Jesus' first century followers. He was a tax collector by profession. And so he wrote down a conversation that Jesus had about faith and finances uh, with an individual. And it gives us some incredible insight into God's view on money and what you and I need to pay attention to in our lives, no matter how old or young we are, no matter how rich or how poor we are. So let's look together uh, in the Bible at Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22. I'm gonna be reading from the New Living Translation and sections of it will come on the screen uh, to help you follow along. Matthew 19, verse 16 says, someone came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? It's a good question. Uh, Jesus said, why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who's good. But to answer your question, if you wanna receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I've obeyed all of these commandments, the young man said. What else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. First glance, this interaction can seem a little bit harsh. 
it should prompt several good questions in us. Things like, wow, does Jesus really hate money that much? Is Jesus saying it's wrong to be well off? The only way to be really super spiritual is to take a vow of perpetual poverty? Well, not really. So let's unpack this carefully and see what Jesus said. First of all, I have to admit, I kind of like this guy. I love that he had the boldness to come to Jesus with his question. And it's a great question. It seems to me that it's asked fairly respectfully. This guy wants to know, what will it take to secure a spot in the kingdom of heaven? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? So he's respectful, but he's already barking up the wrong tree here because there's a bit of a transactional feeling to this already. It's like he's coming to Jesus and saying, all right, Jesus, just tell me, how many palms do I got to grease? How many donations? How many charities do I need to make to get in all the past St. Peter of the proverbial pearly gates? And Jesus pushes back at this and says to him, whoa, 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 friend, Let's just define our terms here a bit, shall we? If we're going to talk about who's good, meaning who's perfect, the only one who fits that description is God, and the only one who has kept God's perfect commandments perfectly. So if you want to go that route, you're going to have to demonstrate that you've lived your life under God's rule fully by God's rules fully. To which the man essentially says, wow, there's like a lot of those. Um, are there some that are like really important, like the not to be missed one? He feels a little bit to me like he's looking for a legal loophole here. And Jesus humors him. Jesus gives him a recitation of a selection, a section of some of the Ten Commandments, which are relational or others oriented. And this man would have known these, having grown up memorizing them, internalizing them, as a part of his culture and his religious upbringing as a first century Jew. And then Jesus gives this kind of summary statement. To keep God's commands means that you're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, according to Jesus, loving your neighbor here means acting in the best interests of those who are weak, and vulnerable in our society. Think about another story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. See, acting in that way considers the good of others in every respect, from how I spend my time, to what's in my investment portfolio, to how I treat my friends. And the man says to Jesus, yeah, 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 I've done all of that. I've checked all of these boxes, Jesus. But notice then what he says. He himself still identifies that there's something he feels is missing. And friend, this is true regardless of our social or economic status. See, we can do everything right, check all of the boxes religiously, socially, financially, but inside know that something is still not quite right. We can have enough money or job security even to isolate ourselves from this global pandemic, but when things get real quiet, quiet enough to listen to what's going on in your soul, inside of you at that deepest part, there's a whisper of a question that keeps bubbling up 
to the surface. And oftentimes it can be phrased like, there must be something more to life than this. See, here's a person, when he comes to Jesus, he has more than enough money and more than enough possessions to live very comfortably. But he's still not comfortable. He's still troubled in some way. He feels like he's on the right track of being a quote-unquote good person, but he's bumping up against this reality. As writer Matthew Henry says, you can be free and clear of gross sin, but still come up short of grace and glory. And Jesus also knows this. And so Jesus gives this young man a big challenge. He says to him, sell all of your possessions, give your money to the poor, and I will give you in exchange two things. One, you're going to come and follow me, and also you will get what you've asked for, eternal life. And now it's, it's worth noting that this is not a universal requirement that Jesus makes for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Many other honest inquirers come to Jesus, and Jesus does not universally lay this out as a pathway forward. So Jesus is not saying that this is the way to God. Jesus is also not saying that earning or investing or spending money is bad, wrong, and evil. The scriptures are clear that the love of money is the root of evil things that can take root in our lives, but not money itself. After all, we all need money in order to navigate life. But with this individual, Jesus is after something in particular. I love it that right in the text, it says that Jesus looked at this person and he loved him. In other words, the invitations that Jesus makes, both to this young man and to you and I in our lives, are rooted in God's love for us and in God's desire for our best and highest good. Jesus genuinely loves this man, and Jesus genuinely loves you. And in this man's situation, it is because Jesus genuinely loves him that he is genuinely interested, not in bankrupting him, but in extending an invitation to him that is for this man's benefit. Because Jesus sees something that this man himself cannot or maybe will not choose to see. Jesus can see that meaningful relationships, whether with God or with other human beings, are not simply about keeping a set of rules. They are about how your heart and your life is oriented. My wife, uh, Meg, and I just celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary this month. And I did not turn to Meg and say, well, I've kept all the rules, honey, so clearly I love you. Relationship tip, folks, this is not the way to the heart of your spouse. See, the inclination of your heart, the question you should be asking when you come on those anniversary moments is, is my heart still inclined towards this person? Are they still the object of my affections and my attention? And what Jesus sees in this man is he knows this man's heart is oriented not ultimately toward the question that he came and asked Jesus about, but ultimately his heart is oriented toward his possessions. 
And so Jesus asks him to step out and exercise faith, to believe that God's provision for him will continue to be enough both in this life and in the life to come. But he cannot get past his attachment to the things of this world. It's like Jesus said earlier in Matthew chapter 6, verse 23, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And friends, that's one of the powerful lessons I'm observing and learning as we navigate through COVID-19 together. And that is that my possessions cannot give me security. They can insulate us, they can offer us a sense of comfort, but things ultimately cannot give us meaning and purpose in life. And one of the most challenging effects of wealth and possessions is that they have a way of reordering our priorities. And when we're in a, in a time of uncertainty, uncertainty actually does us a favor because it reveals what we're attached to and what we have allowed attach itself to us. And that's why Jesus invited this particular young man to walk away from his wealth. Not because wealth is a bad thing, but because this young man was treating it as an ultimate thing. And so the question that you and I need to ask as we think about this in light of our own lives is really that question, what am I attached to? And maybe for you it is money, but it could also be many other things. Could be work, could be your skills, might be your self-image or a relationship or your dreams or your hopes for the future. And when you begin to let these things define you, when they shape your self-worth, the challenge is that they actually begin to cut you off from vibrant relationships with other people and ultimately a vibrant relationship with God. And for this man, he had let his concept of self be defined by his financial position. And so when Jesus challenges him and says, young man, those are good things, but they are and ought to be secondary things. The man cannot accept this and he goes away sad because he's failed to realize the truth of what Jesus is saying to him and to us. And that is that your self-worth is not determined by your net worth. So as we wrap up the teaching and application time, I wanna to speak to two groups of people for a minute. The first group is for those of us who have a tendency to link our self-worth and our net worth. And this doesn't just happen to high net worth individuals. It can happen to any of us. This encounter that with Jesus shows us that where our money goes, our heart flows. And so we need to be careful about how attached we get to our wealth and our possessions and our status or things like the kinds of things that money and our possessions buy us, the kinds of clothes we wear or shoes we wear, how much money's in our bank account or our RRSPs. These things are not bad and wrong, but they are temporary. They are here today, and at some point they will or can be gone tomorrow. And at times of crisis, we can become so hyper-focused on what we're losing or what we might lose, sometimes 
we miss out on what we can gain if we take the time to orient our hearts rightly. And this really is, friends, a discussion of faith and finances is all about our hearts and trust. In God, we trust. Because if our heart is connected in an unhealthy way to our finances, this is going to have a negative impact on all of our relationships, including our relationships with people and with God. And so if you've been seeking to find ultimate purpose and meaning in the things of life, you are taking secondary things and making them into primary things. And the primary thing is always and has always and must always be relationships and not things. And friends, this is particularly true when it comes to relationship with God. And so Jesus is offering you and me the same thing he offered this young man, a rich and vibrant and full relationship with the God of the universe, a life that has purpose and meaning that starts now and goes on forever. But in order to say yes to that and put it at the very center of your life, you have to make sure that nothing else is currently occupying that position. And so, friend, if that's you, that you need to make sure that you make sure that nothing else is taking that place. So if that's new for you, you can start walking out that pathway today. If you're watching on our live stream, I want you to use the chat function. Just raise your hand for salvation and we would love to pray with you. If you're watching on YouTube or you're watching non-live, uh, today we're launching a prayer line. And so if you call, get pick up your phone and call 604-629-7805. You can speak with one of our pastoral team and we would love to pray with you. The second group of people I want to speak to is those who are struggling in the area of finances. And when it comes into a teaching time like this, it might stir something up in you and you might feel shame or guilt in the way that you've oriented your life. Or maybe you just find yourself in a place where it's just hard to ask for help. And every company out there is saying, we're here for you. And 7-Eleven's even saying it, meaning that they, when they say we're here for you, they mean we'll bring you to a Slurpee to your door and we'll charge you money that, so that it's better bottom line for our shareholders. But when we say it here at Jericho Ridge, when we say we're here for you, I want you to hear that we actually mean it. We've banded together with 16 other churches in our city via the Hello Church initiative. And we're working with the school district and the food bank and other agencies to provide meaningful help to those in need in the midst of this crisis. And so friend, if you are in need, I want you to reach out and I want you to let us know. I want you to go to hellochurch.ca and fill out the form there. And we would love to meet with you. We'd love to provide you with some practical support. And we want you to know that our heart and our money is where our mouths are as a church in this time. It can be very easy in the midst of a crisis to lose hope and to lose heart, and we don't want that for you. And so I wanna invite you as we move into a time of responding to God to just consider again, friend, what am I attached to? What is holding on to me in the midst of this crisis? And who or what? are you holding on to for hope in the midst of the season we find ourselves in?